Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Dr. Kendra Lowe, a 2001 graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy. In this episode, you'll hear all about the highs and lows of Kendra's time at the Academy and how her military career ultimately came full circle with her becoming a psychologist researching and helping military families. This episode illuminates the power of focusing on the positive aspects of your story and the importance of working through your struggles as opposed to letting them define you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Kendra. Oh, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, of course. Uh, Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? So where I'm from, um, I grew up a military brat. Um, My dad didn't stay in as long as um, some of us have maybe experienced, but um, my dad finally uh, went into the Air Force Reserves and flew C-130s out of Milwaukee, and we landed in Illinois. So I grew up most of my childhood in Illinois, and then um, wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps, although um, at the time he wasn't um, completely on board with me choosing that path. Um, But being who I am and very headstrong and stubborn, Um, I applied to the Air Force Academy in 1997 and got accepted and graduated in 2001 um, in behavioral science. And to start, uh, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Who I am today, uh, first and foremost, I'm a mother. Um, I adore my children and really feel as though my primary role is helping guide them um, through the military life and culture that they're still part of as my husband's still active duty and um, truly takes up a lot of my time and attention is um, ensuring that they have uh, the social and emotional supports they need um, to kind of navigate this challenging life that they've been born into. So that's certainly one. And then the second is you know, um, with my background in psychology is, uh, my focus has been on military families and, um, helping military families at large gain the social and emotional tools that they need, um, to be successful in the military and to thrive. I love it. And we're going to definitely hear more about that. Um, but to start, uh, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. Now I know you touched a little bit on this, but let's hear the whole story here. Uh, what made you choose a service academy? And what made you specifically choose the Air Force Academy? Now we know a little bit, but let's hear the full story. Oh, so, you know, I I definitely wanted um, to uh, go into the medical field is what I thought as a child and uh, very driven, um, always wanted to help others. And so my family always said they remembered me telling stories, even as a student where teachers were drawn to me and sharing things with me that they really wouldn't prefer because I just... Um, had a nature that uh, I, you know, I've always been a good listener since I was a little kid. And so I definitely wanted to develop that as much as I could um, to help people. And so that's something that stayed with me throughout my entire life. And so when I was really choosing uh, what direction to go, um, I chose two schools. That was it. And University of Illinois to do pre-med or go to the academy. And to me, Um, I think what spoke to my heart the most was just service to our country. And with my dad going to the Air Force Academy, he was um, a 1972 graduate. I definitely knew about it. 
and um, was had the opportunity to go to sports camp um, for several years and play tennis out at the academy and just fell in love with, um, well, Colorado. I fell in love with Colorado and just fell in love with um, being able to do something and serving um, something bigger than myself. And the easy decision once um, I got accepted to both to really go on uh, to the academy and kind of see what um, what path was there and um, where it led me towards. Mm. Yeah. So your dad was a 1972 graduate, huh? Yes, he was. And um, he ended up flying C-130s. And um, obviously, you know, being honest, just had real reservations um, with his daughter going to the academy. So uh, we tease my dad all the time that as a uh, as children, my older sister and I, he used to take us on long walks. And we're like, oh gosh, you know, dad, dad wants to go on a walk again. We kind of roll our eyes. And so I remember probably a couple months before I made that decision, you know, dad said, you want to go on a long walk? And I was like, oh, here we go. And um, we went on a long walk and he just kind of, um, you know, cautioned me, um, which I think was fair about what it takes um, to go to a service academy and his reservations um, with a female going and with a daughter going. And so I definitely weighed his concerns, um, but I've always, um, anybody who's met me, I've kind of um, always had the attitude that I definitely think um, females and girls and certainly my two girls should have the same opportunities as everyone else. Um, if for some reason you have limitations that you can't achieve it, that's understandable, but I think that you should at least have the chance and the opportunity to be able to see what you're capable of. Mm. So even though he had reservations though, was he still pretty much supported, supportive once you made the decision that that's what you wanted to do? For sure. You know, I, you know, my mom and dad both were instrumental with me getting through the academy. And I think um, most of us can say that there has to be, um, there has to be someone behind you to get through that place. So definitely throughout the four years, um, I could lean on my parents and um, my mom was a great um, supporter as well. And we're both great sounding boards of those moments, which I'm sure we've all had of, do I really want to stay? Um, is, am I capable of finishing it? And um, I think you all, we all have reached those moments of um, how much more is this going to take out of me? <laughs> and so mm. um, they were great sounding boards to just say, it's your choice. We know you can do it, but it's always your choice. And so yeah. I think that was um, so helpful for me to know um, at any point in which I felt um, I was losing myself at the academy, that I had the option, um, and I certainly had opportunities to go other routes. And so um, that was a great uh, relief for me, coupled with you're capable and we know you're capable, um, but putting that control back into my hands, which was really important while going through the four years there. Now, you obviously had insight into what the academy was like because you had spent summers there and your dad graduated. Um, but were any of the other service academies on the table for you? Or was it really just, I want to go to the United States Air Force Academy? That's the one thing my dad didn't give me an option of. He said, if you're going to go to a service academy, we'll only let you go to the Air Force Academy. Right or wrong, that was the one thing he said to me. So um, that that was there was no other service academy as an option that they would kind of um, support. Okay. Was it difficult for you to get in? You know, um, you are 
um, able to have a presidential nomination if you have a legacy to a school. So that part, I guess, is easy um, because I got a presidential nomination essentially because my dad was a graduate, um, but uh, definitely had to retake my ACT scores um, to bump them up a little bit. And, um, but I, but was able to receive um, the nomination, I guess, in, in time, you know, mm -hmm. um, in relative time. Yeah. And were, so what was the plan going in? Were you, were you an athlete um, when you were in high school? I was, I was a tennis player. Um, I love tennis. Uh, I had an injury early on my freshman year um, in high school. I tore my ACL, um, blew out my knee pretty good. So um, definitely had hard work uh, throughout four years of playing tennis in high school. Uh, but I was a walk-on uh, to the tennis team at the academy. Loved the support system of playing with other uh, female cadets and having kind of those mentors um, be part of that experience my freshman year. I, I definitely attribute um, them to helping um, get through your freshman year for sure, as I know we can all relate as one of the most grueling years um, and a deciding point of, you know, kind of figuring out what you're made of. And so I, I loved being part of the tennis team, but unfortunately my grades um, suffered quite a bit freshman year. And I remember another conversation with my dad that was, um, that said, you know, um, no one's going to remember you for playing tennis. And if you want to graduate, you're going to have to pull the grades. And so it was this real hard decision for me to walk away from the tennis team my sophomore year, but um, I really needed to buckle down and uh, study a lot more to, in order to focus and um, make sure that I graduated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, so let's back up for a second. So, um, so it was very clear that you wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. It sounds like you had a ton of support. Um, you had been there before, so that's good. Like I'm sure you had some insight into what you know Colorado was, Mile High was, all that stuff. Um, so, so if you had to sum up your time at the academy in one word, what would it be? gosh, that's a tough one. It's dedication. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it just comes to, it comes down to, I think it teaches you a lot about yourself and a lot of what you're capable of. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just staying dedicated to what, where you see yourself in the future. And if that path is going to get you there and help you achieve what you want. And so it's staying true to yourself and dedicated um, to kind of that vision that you have of your future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, definitely, you have to be dedicated to get through the academy. There's no fake in it. <laughs> um, but okay, so so now let's dive a little bit into your time at the academy. I know you've been talking a little bit about it, bits and pieces here, but let's go back to that, you know, that first day when you get there. Uh, how was the summer for you? Um, how did all that go? How and, and how was the first year? So give me some context there. You know, um, I think nothing can fully prepare you uh, for what you encounter. I think um, even though I had, if um, I guess if you will say, a leg up because my dad could speak to me about some of the challenges and even, oh gosh, I'm dating myself, but even when I went, you know, there's videos and there's way you can physically and uh, mentally try to prepare your, yourself for it. 
Um, I don't think there's anything that can fully prepare you for um, your freshman year. And so I definitely had some challenges there. As I said, I struggled academically and um, I was a, a victim of sexual assault at, at the Air Force Academy my freshman year. And so that definitely kind of took me off a little bit of the trajectory um, and made it, uh, you know, for me, a different level of a struggle of um, trying to overcome a lot of um, emotional and mental um, struggles while I had um, my freshman year. So uh, mm -hmm. that was definitely something that I don't think you can prepare for and you try to find, um, find the best way through it and try not to lose yourself. And it was really my goal my freshman year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot to, that's a lot because your freshman year is already, you're, you're on high alert, you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, you're trying to manage things and to add that layer of anxiety in. Um, did you feel like you had support through that? Um, I had, there was an awesome um, group at the Air Force Academy, kind of an underground group of ladies um, that had all unfortunately um, been affected at some point in time, uh, 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 sexual assault. And so we really supported each other. It was very obviously um, completely confidential and um, off the books. And um, those group of ladies, I can't say enough about um, whether they chose to stay or did not. Um, and again, I'm not minimizing any stress that anybody goes through at a service academy because everybody's stress is real and um, it's significant to themselves. Uh, but definitely, as you mentioned, that additional layer of having to try to um, just um, function uh, was really difficult there. And uh, that support system of ladies uh, definitely gave me, um, oh gosh, the hope that uh, it's definitely possible to still um, push on and to be able to graduate. And certainly the other <laughs> significant component um, was I met my best friend, which is now my husband, and um, I met him between my freshman and sophomore year, and um, he was instrumental in kind of bringing me back to God, because I questioned that um, at several points, and um, he became an individual that saw me for who I was and um, loved me completely um, through all of it, so I think you find those individuals that lift you up that um, that provide anything you need at any given time, and um, they give you kind of that strength um, to to muddle through another week, you know, to get through those Sunday blues and say I can do one more week. And I just remember that really being my mantra on Sundays when you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, another week. But um, taking it in small chunks, saying I can, I can do another week, and it's possible. And um, those individuals were just. Um, just such a key component of uh, my determination um, to graduate. Mm. That word dedication is becoming more into focus for me here as you're talking. <laughs> so, um, so, okay. But so on that note, like let's dive a little bit into some of the big key highlights of your time at the Academy and some of the most memorable moments. So for sure, I mean, you met your husband, so that has to have been a highlight. For you. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we just, it was 
great to walk through those um, challenges together and, and to share in it. And, you know, and, and even though he is my husband, I say first and foremost, he is my best friend. And so um, just being able to share that common, um, oh gosh, the common experiences and um, have that person to, you know, to walk through it with you that you don't have to explain it all. I think that's part of the thing that we struggle a lot as um, graduates and, and I'm sure as, you know, individuals went home during summer breaks, it's, it's trying to explain to past friends that um, it's the struggles and the challenges associated with it. It's really hard for them to relate. So mm-hmm. um, I just felt very blessed that um, there was that common understanding and um, not having to explain it to him that, um, you know, where it was at on a certain day. So definitely a highlight um, to have that person um, walk with me um, for the majority of my time there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, yeah. and certainly as, you know, and, you know, girlfriends as well, I had great friends um, that, you know, again, same common ground um, that we stood by each other. And I think that's a big part of it is um, I might not be falling every single day, but when I was falling, I had people to reach out to, and then um, certainly hope that anytime those individuals were falling, that I could be there to help lift them up. And so I think it's just kind of that balance that you strike in friendships going through a service academy is um, being there to help pick people up when they need to, um, and then knowing that someone will be there to do the same for you as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um were there any like specific experiences you had at the academy that you would also classify as like memorable? I don't know if you did anything special, but were there things that you enjoyed? Oh my gosh. And that's what, you know, um, when I, I talk to a lot of people about my experience at the academy, um, and a lot of um, my background in psychology is rational behavioral therapy. And so the memories I choose to have about that place are the positive ones. And those are the ones that I, consistently, um, you know, go back to and, you know, forge those um, neurons to, you know, trigger my memories. And it's, it's the positive ones. And there's, I could sit on here with you all day long about the amazing experiences um, associated with the Academy. Being able to soar was unbelievable. Um, You know, operational air force and being, um, having the opportunity to go out to um, a different uh, air force site and learn about um, different career fields that you could get into. you know, being part of the psychology department and some of my professors were unbelievable. And so I think that's such um, an amazing opportunity to be in an environment in which your professors want to push you to what they believe your limits are. And, um, and they believe in you. And I felt that so much at the academy is that they believed in me more so even at times where I didn't believe in myself. And so to have mentors um, just see you through that lens um, I don't know. And again, I can't, I, you know, I've gone on and I received my graduate degrees and it's definitely a different experience than what I felt at the academy. So um, mm. definitely highs of um, having those professors just say, you know, the, the world is your oyster and, you know, and you are capable of so much. And to me, um, that was such an inspiration to just grab onto those um, unique opportunities that sometimes we forget um, that we're afforded by going through a service academy. 
It's interesting. I've heard that now a couple of times about the Air Force Academy, that the professors are just really behind the students and their goals. Um, it's just so nice to hear. It, it really, really is. Um, but I, I do just want to highlight one of the things you said about the choice of, you know, choosing to focus on the positive experiences there. And, and then and that definitely is a skill, you know, um, for sure. <laughs> uh, and not just getting caught up in the difficulties and the struggles and maybe some of the lowlights. So um, I think that's awesome that you've gotten yourself to a place where you can really, really pull all the positivity out of that four years of your life. It's and, awesome. and, and don't get me wrong. It's hard. And I, and as yeah. we, yeah. you know, even in uh, adulting, as I say, it's, <laughs> it's difficult to do that on some days and, and yet it's a choice. Yeah. It's tough it's a choice. I think you need to give your great yourself grace on a lot of the days when you, um, when seeing the positive isn't as automatic, but, um, I am definitely an advocate for the more that you train your brain to go back to those positive things and, um, positive memories and experiences. Um, it just sheds a whole different light and outlook, um, as you go forward, um, throughout your days, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, um, were there any other key memorable experiences you want to share before we move on? I know it's, I, I, I feel like I could draw on so many different ones and, you know, and, um, I think the other, um, aspect that I loved, um, at the Academy was, um, the leadership opportunities. So, um, you know, again, given struggles that I had, um, what I really saw myself as a, um, junior and senior, uh, cadet, was being that lifeline um, to other female cadets. So mm -hmm. I definitely always wanted to make myself available. I wanted my door to be open um, so that there was never any question in our squadron with, you know, um, freshmen or sophomores that they had someone um, without fear of retribution, that the door was open and they had someone um, that they could talk to confidentially. And so I love the leadership opportunities that you have there um, that you can help others and that you can make it not about yourself and really helping others be able to achieve their potential. And I think that's so unique to a service academy that you can grasp onto that role and um, make a difference in somebody's life. So I, I loved that um, as uh, you moved up to more senior cadet that um, those were uh, opportunities that you could have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What was your goal while you were at the academy? Was it always to go into psychology and to do something in psychology post-graduation? You know, I chuckle and I say this often, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So um, <laughs> I think it is just um, a constant reassessment, which I do with myself and my family is where are we at, you know, is this working and is this, um, is this fulfilling? And so, you know, my trajectory has changed so many different times. Uh, I started out um, as a personnelist. I enjoyed, no, I didn't, I loved wearing the uniform. I loved a tangible experience every single morning that I could put on a uniform and I knew I was serving something bigger than myself. And so um, even though I only served five and a half years, I, um, I missed that part of it immediately, um, not being able to have that tangible experience of putting on the uniform. Uh, but being a personnelist at the time, um, I'd have to say didn't bring me tons of joy. So uh, I always wanted to go back into psychology. And, and at that time, 
the only avenue to serve uh, while in psychology was to finish out the doctorate. And my husband at the time was uh, picked up to be a combat rescue officer. And so we kind of hit a crossroads at one point. I was picked up for an AFID scholarship at the academy and went, got, went back and got my master's while I was still active duty. Um, but we kind of had that um, crossroads where how is this going to work? And how am I going to go back to the academy and then go back to being a personnelist? And how are you going to take this course, um, this path as a combat rescue officer? How mm. does that, how does that work? And um, it was a hard decision. It was a super tough decision. Um, but at that time, we really wanted to have kids. And so I decided to step out of active duty while he um, is continuing to serve as of today. And one of the great thing is, again, um, kind of choosing those positive things, I definitely still feel like I serve through him. And I know that's hard to hear sometimes for those of us that have been joint spouse at a certain time or been active duty ourselves, but it's definitely a life of um, service in our family. And so um, I still feel blessed that we are still giving back and that he is serving. So, yeah. Well, so, but when you were in the academy, did you decide that you wanted to go the personnel track or um, what was the plan, at least initially? Being open and honest and transparent, um, I wanted joint spouse. So I see. Okay. Um, that really um, was the driving force um, was for us to get a base together. And initially, um, he was slotted for pilot training, but um, he had PRK surgery at the academy. He was one of the first cadets to have it. And so when he started pilot training, we were down in Del Rio, Texas. Um, I was a personnelist. Um, they uh, took him up to San Antonio to do eye testing for the PRK and noticed that he had contrast sensitivity. He failed it. So they decided that he couldn't finish pilot training. Um, fast forward a couple years, they've now um, erased that rule and they don't test for that anymore. But at that point, he had decided that he wanted to cross train to be a combat rescue officer. So, gotcha. okay. um, yeah, you know, and in, in, in being a personnelist, um, there's great things about it as well. Um, but it just, I knew my heart was with psychology and I just, um, didn't see a clear path, um, to, con to obtain that, um, while I was still active duty and married to an active duty member. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, but let's back up a little bit, cause we're going to dive deep into your career. Um, but before we do that, I, I, I know you don't choose to focus on, you know, low lights at the Academy, but I am wondering if there's anything you're willing to share or want to share about some of the struggles that you've had. Now, I know you mentioned the sexual assault your, your uh, freshman year, plebe year. Um, is there anything else you, you want to add to that part of your time at the academy? You know, and that's, um, if picking, you know, that was my lowest low for sure. And as I've gone out and, and we'll dive into later, kind of my professional career, is that part of my experience? Absolutely, it's part of my experience. Um, I don't want that to define me, if that makes sense. So I don't mind speaking about it. I don't mind um, uh, sharing that that was part of uh, my experience, um, but I don't want that to be a defining um, moment, nor do I want that to be a defining um, you know, a moment in time that uh, that I go back to. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, that was definitely my lowest low. It was during basic training, um, out in Jack's Valley. So, 
Um, it was a, a point at which there was very, at the time, very few resources to reach out to um, at that time. Uh, and so it was a very lonely, um, oh gosh, crushing moment um, to then go through something so significant and not feel as though I had a lifeline um, during the last week in Jack's Valley. And so um, just sharing, because I, you know, I, uh, I know that there are a lot of um, females that have been through similar experiences. I chose not to share that most of my freshman year. Um, and so no one really knew I was struggling with that and um, decided after the, well, probably towards the end of my freshman year, um, between my freshman and sophomore year, decided to tell some senior leadership. And at the time, because it was something that had happened in the past, they really didn't know how to deal with it. So um, mm. I truly felt as though I had to rely upon um, myself and um, and kind of, again, that network of females and really assert to individuals, this is what I need. And I feel um, I feel blessed that I was able to assert those things at that time, because I do believe there's a lot of individuals that don't have the tools to be able to assert this is what I need at this given time. So I, I attribute um, being able to find a way to get through that um, to um, it being later and saying, okay, I'm at this point in time, this is what I need. I need an off-base counselor, someone that's not in a military uniform um, to help me cope with um, not only what happened, but the the path and the course forward um, to make sure I was healthy. And um, I, I, I definitely say that um, being in a, you know, a, I guess a better frame of mind later on, I was able to really give them concrete um, items that I needed to be able to finish. And so mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if when we're talking about lowest of lows, I mean, I would probably say in my life, that's probably one of my lowest lows. Uh, but, but it's also <laughs> compelled me, um, to want to help others. It's compelled me, um, at some point in time that I'd love to go back to the academy and be an instructor and, um, again, be that lifeline for others. And so, um, I'm certainly don't think I can ever say I'm grateful it happened, um, but, but I'm more resolute in, um, some of my choices because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you tell your, your parents that that had happened at the time or no? So that was the same thing when I decided to kind of talk about it. It was, um, about a year later with my folks as well. And so, um, it was a lot that our entire family had to deal with. Yeah. And, um, as we know through, um, the way I kind of liken it to is a grief process. And so I, I definitely think my parents went through a grief process of um, feeling sad, feeling angry, um, just all those emotions that you feel when you're grieving something. Um, it put my parents through a lot. And so that was definitely part of um, not wanting to share it right away. And um, again, going back to what I said in the beginning, I'm very stubborn. And so I wanted to be able to say, I can do this and I can do this on my own and by myself. But I think at that point I had reached um, kind of a, another turning point of, I can't do it by myself. And so I had to admit that, which was really difficult. Um, but that's when I kind of 
reached out to several people and said, um, I don't think I'm going to make it through this place if I don't um, have um, individuals more aware of some of the struggles I'm going through and to seek help. Yeah, that's a huge lesson to learn because that's a lot to carry around and to, to just the weight of that without expressing it and healing from it and grieving it and getting it out and having support, oof, that'll weigh you down for sure. And, um, and just thinking about your father, you know, like a graduate who had these reservations about his daughter going to the academy to begin with, uh, that must have been really tough for him to hear, I'm sure. And I'm sure that weighed on you knowing that. It was a lot. I mean, you know, when I um, have a lot of people ask about the academy, I say a lot of it um, is very fuzzy and rightfully so. I think I put up some of those mental barriers and um, some of it is kind of fuzzy for me because of that. And um, it was hard on my whole family. I think it's some, something you never wish your child would have to go through. And so, um, and I, as I look at my three kids out the window right now, you know, I would be, um, it's crushing, you know, to think of um, someone harming your children. And so um, that was definitely part of the weight of um, wanting to carry it myself and not give that to others to carry. And I think, you know, that really transcends to the military and to active duty members when we're talking about struggles that they've been through, it's um, very hard um, to have people share um, and carry those struggles because you want to be able to do it yourself and you don't want them to have to endure that as well. Um, but I also say it takes a strong person to be able to say, I can't and I need help. And so um, that's definitely something that I talk to military families about now is let some else, someone else carry some of that for you. Yeah, and it's so important if if we're ever going to get to the place where we're not walking around wearing that as our identity and as part of who we are, like we have to seek support and help to process it, to grieve, to move through it, or else it just becomes us, you know, it becomes consuming in different ways. So um, that's awesome that you found the resources you need, you needed at the time to, to get through that, you know. Um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I know it's a lifelong journey and process of grieving and moving through that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, but um, were there any uh, other, I mean, that was obviously a huge lesson to learn, everything you just shared about being able to ask for help and, and all of that stuff. And, and um, but were there any other lessons that you'd like to share that you learned from your time at the Academy? You know, I think one of the biggest things, and when my mind goes back to, you know, other challenging times in my life, what I love about my experiences um, at the Academy is that when I'm tackling something and I might be overwhelmed with it, um, I go back there and I say, I am capable of anything. And, and I think that's something that we can all share um, after graduating from something so intense like that to me it gives me such confidence that, you know, anything I tackle that I'm capable of it, you know, it might not be in the time frame that I want. It might not be on the exact course or path that I originally anticipated. Um, but I know I'm capable and I know what I'm capable of. And so when I tackle things, um, even now at 41, uh, I, I go back there and I say, you know, but Kendra, um, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I think that gives you um, such confidence in life that um, you can take on more challenges that you might be leery of um, because you know that 
um, you can rise to the occasion. And so that's something that I love about um, graduating from something so intense and, and having those experiences because, gosh, it shows you um, that you're capable of anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I agree with you 100% on that one. <laughs> um, all right. So, so you already dove a little bit into this, but let's, let's go a little bit deeper. So you were approaching graduation and you made it clear that your intention was to do this kind of co-location and to be with your, be with your um, now husband. Uh, did you get married right away after graduation? We kept it a little bit separate. I wanted, um, you know, and it's hard, we wanted to get married soon, but I truly felt as though graduation um, was its own celebration and needed to be separate from a wedding. So mm -hmm. we graduated um, in 2001 and then about three or four weeks later, I went back home to Illinois and then we were married. And so, although not a significant time mm -hmm. between the two, um, I was definitely encouraged by family members, just do it all at once. It's easier for everyone. And, you know, and I understood yeah. that from a logistics standpoint, but for me, I felt like they were two very separate, significant moments that needed their own space and time. And so um, we were married uh, three, or, three to four weeks later and then, you know, went on our leave to Hawaii, which was awesome. And, um, you know, which we all chuckle is, you know, you went to the bank account and there was money again. And we felt like the richest in our lives when <laughs> you're in Hawaii on your honeymoon and we're like we just got paid again so um yeah we definitely enjoyed our summer and then traveled down to del rio texas um for him to at the time start pilot training and me start um my role as a personnelist okay so that all worked out you guys getting um stationed in the same space um so so tell me a little bit more about your time were you a personnelist the full five and a half years you were in or Pretty, no. um, so I was a, the entire time in Del Rio, we stayed three years because, um, even though he was originally slotted to go through pilot training, he cross commissioned. So we stayed down in Del Rio three years. And so I worked in the MPF at the time and then was able to move up to the Airmen and Family Readiness Center, which I can't speak enough about, you know, the programs and services they provide for our military families and was in charge of base sponsorship at the time. So had a unique role with that, which I loved. Um, helping kind of navigate that for military families. And then we both got stationed up at Malmstrom Air Force Base. And I worked in the cop squadron, which was really um, a great experience as well. And just a, a different mindset and culture being part of a cop squadron. So as a section commander for the largest cop squadron in the Air Force up at Malmstrom and just um, really garnered an appreciation for what our security forces um, does on a daily basis. And at that particular location, they deployed out to the missile fields. And so just kind of saw the struggles associated with that as well. You know, the active duty members were deployed, but they weren't deployed. So they, you know, family members struggled in different ways. And um, just seeing the dedication of our um, security forces was just another experience that, you know, I can't speak highly enough of um, being under their leadership and learning from cop commanders and um having a different um you know experience while active duty i thought it was great and then again i applied back to the academy for the AFIT program and they sent me that last year um, full time to get my master's in counseling and so the last year i was able to 
be in school full time, which was an awesome blessing and really solidified for me that I needed to go back to psychology because um, my husband said I'm a complete geek and I would be a lifetime student if he would let me. And being back in the academic world and environment um, just uh, filled me up. And so I knew at that point, even though it was a difficult decision of whether to stay in or get out, I knew I wanted to pursue um, more in the psychology field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at this point, um, where were you at with like your family, with, with your family and your kids? Did you have kids yet or were you still just with your husband? We didn't. And, you know, I, I've heard this kind of theme amongst um, Service Academy female graduates as well. We struggled um, to have children. And so uh, I don't know, uh, you know, there's a lot of theories about that associated um, uh, with Service Academy female graduates, but we struggled to have kids. And so we wanted to, um, and again, me being the type of person is I want it my way and I want it now. I think it was another little mini life lesson that, um, you know, to be patient and um, it wasn't the right time. And we went through a lot of fertility, uh, a lot of fertility treatment. And um, we were separated for a year because he started the pipeline and I stayed up in Montana and we started, he started the pipeline to be a combat rescue officer. And so I underwent a lot of fertility. And then after that year, I got out and we went through more um, IVF treatments and everything. And we're blessed to have our daughter. And then we had two crazy miracles after that. So, wow, that's, that's crazy. So you did those fertility treatments while you were by yourself in Montana? I did, which doesn't um, logistically make sense. There's a, there's a way that that works out. But yeah, I was um, I underwent a lot of, um, hormone treatment while I was up in Montana. And then when I moved down by him in, um, in Albuquerque, um, there was a great hospital there that, um, we started working with, but I worked with them for a whole year unsuccessfully. And then, um, after that year, he got stationed at, in Valdosta as a combat rescue officer. And then we went through fertility treatment at Wilford Hall. Um, they offer a great program for active duty members and went through two rounds of IVF in which he flew out to San Antonio with me. And the second one was successful. Oh. Interesting. Oh. Uh, well, so, okay. So where did the master's fall in this timeline with the children? So I finished up my master's of science and counseling before kids. So that was in Albuquerque. I finished up and then I got out and found a job there working in um, a hospital uh, that institutionalized children. So um, again, I kind of chuckled that my career path has been um, consistently finding out what I don't want to do when I grow up. And when I worked in the hospital um, with children that were institutionalized, it was just um, one of the most emotionally draining jobs I ever had um, because essentially you're providing therapy for children to go back into often the environments in which is the reason why they were placed in the institution in the mm. first place. So um, they, it's a high turnover rate for therapists that work um, in a hospital. And I did it for one year. I would have stayed on, but then he got the assignment to go to Valdosta. And so at that time, we still didn't have kids. Um, we transitioned to Valdosta and <laughs> I knocked down doors trying to find a job and, and I chuckle at it because um, I, the one question I got a lot in Valdosta was, when I applied and interviewed for jobs, it's like, well, 
who do you know? And I, and I kind of, you know, was a little starstruck, you know, with the question of what do you mean? Who do I know? And just having that connection of being able to name someone or have them vet you as, um, you know, a, a worthy employee. I didn't have any of those connections. So um, I did not get employed in Valdosta. And so my default is always to go back to school because again, that's my happy place. And so in Valdosta, I went back and got my education specialist in school psychology and went back to school and loved the academics associated with it. And then um, was hired as a school psychologist in Georgia and worked um, our last year in Georgia as a school psychologist, right? And I worked up until the point that I had my daughter. Gotcha. Oof, you guys moved around a lot. I'm like, wow, we're in Montana. We're down in Albuquerque. We're over to <laughs> Texas. I'm like, oh, okay. I got it though. I think I've got the timeline now. So, um, so um, was that first master's, was that through the Air Force? It was. The Academy um, sponsored it, which was great. Okay, and that's pretty cool. It was. It's a great program. If you all don't know about it, um, you can apply back to your um, a, a academy, service academy, and several um, departments have a master's program that they can sponsor you. Part of the agreement is you come back and teach at, the, um, at your service academy. And so that was definitely... Um, a struggle for me because I felt like I owed that back to go to the academy and teach. Um, but at the point they were doing, um, you, they were doing, oh gosh, they were allowing individuals to go um, to separate, even though they may have had um, that requirement. So that is part of my drive or desire to go back and teach at the academy is even though there's no requirement, I still have um, kind of that feeling that I need to fulfill that. Gotcha. Okay. That's pretty cool. I don't know if the Merchant Marine Academy has that, but it sounds like the big, the big three do for probably. I think pretty sure they do. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, okay. So where are you now? What are you doing today? So, you know, after Valdosta, um, he got stationed up in North Carolina and I finished up my doctorate uh, while I had three littles at home. And again, wanting to be available to my kids while he was deployed pretty much the five years we were there going back to my default, I said, well, I'll just go back to school and was able to finish up my doctorate. And in both my second master's and my doctorate, all my focus was on military families and stress associated with deployments and PCSing. And I really wanted to understand more about that stress that I was experiencing myself and my friends, um, really understand how significant it was and if there were any contributing factors. So any chance, you know, that I was in some of my graduate programs, if I was given an opportunity to do research, that's where I always um, geared my research towards was um, military families uh, and kind of being better to define our stress and contributing factors. So um, I was able to complete that research up in North Carolina with over 210 spouses kind of investigating that. And then uh, Patrick got an assignment over to Okinawa. And I tell this story often, but um, we were going over to Oki and they told us it was two years. Um, we left our dog behind. And as we got off the air, airplane, the Patriot Express, which is a heinous flight for military families overseas, and went to our base housing, his current boss's spouse, while we're in our base housing, um, turns and looks at me 
you know, and this is after 36 hours of travel with a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. And I just wanted to go lay down. And she said, but we're so excited you guys are staying four years. Oh, and um, I had absolutely no idea. And my husband saw my face just kind of fall across the room and kind of gave me a look. And he said, you know, I think everybody has to go. I think Kendra's tired. And, you know, we laid down that night and I said, what do you know about four years? And he's like, I just found out tonight. And, and it was a tough point for me because two years was an adventure. Um, two years was exciting. Two years um, was, was something that I could immerse myself in a different culture. Four years to me was a lifetime. It was four years um, in which I lost three of my grandparents that I couldn't travel back for funerals. It was um, four years in which um, our parents lost out on enjoying their grandchildren. And uh, you are halfway around the world in a foreign country. So travel back is not easy or, and it's cost prohibitive. So um, for me, that was just another significant struggle that I had to be honest with myself and shift um, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to lose four years, you know, to um, being um, sad about that. So your research in military spouse stress started before that though. Yes, it did. I'm sure you have so much insight because that sounds so stressful. So, it so is. stressful. And I think, um, you know, something that I guess always hit me is um, I was just surprised um, at the level of stress I felt as a spouse because going back to kind of what we were saying before, you know, I felt very capable of tackling challenging situations. Yeah. And, and so I was surprised when I made that transition and I hate this word and I'm going to say it, but transitioning to just a military spouse, I'm like, um, I, I hate that word just, but it was to me, I was just like, it, you know, I'm a spouse now, but I felt such significant stress and a different stress yeah. and I couldn't conceptualize it because I'm like, well, you know, I don't, have the stress of a job, but it was just different. I think we take for granted when you're active duty that you're immediately immersed into a unit and um, to colleagues that um, you hit the ground running. And as a spouse, that's not immediate. And um, you struggle with employment. You, For those that are more of introverts than extroverts, you struggle to make those quick social connections. And we take that for granted when you're active duty that it's a ready-made um, entity for you to be socially yeah. connected in your new location. And although, you know, units do a, a good job and there's some that do better than others on, uh, you know, connecting spouses, it's, it was, I was just very surprised by it. I can also tell you, and this is all ego, but I, I know, and nobody really knows much about my story, but I was married to a, another um, service academy person too. And, um, he wanted to go active duty. And my issue was, well, I don't want to be, quote, just a military wife. And I, it felt to me very much like I would be tagging along. And yeah. as a service academy graduate, I was like, I've worked so hard. I should have my own career, my own path, my own identity, and not just an identity of, quote, as just a military wife. Now, I have since you know, process that in many different ways and understand that it isn't, quote, just a military wife. There's a lot. That is a, a tough job. Um, but to your point, you know, it's, it's tough. Like, it's tough to make that transition, especially 
um, since you, you know, were in the military and had had your own career path within that space. And now you were attaching yourself to him. I get it. it, It's a very humbling experience. Yeah. So there's, again, as I try to say with anything, um, there was a lot to learn from that and a lot to gain from that. And one thing that I've definitely done since then is made it by my own, meaning um, I don't have to fit the mold of a military spouse. Um, I can still be Kendra, not, um, you know, Colonel Lowe's wife. I'm still Kendra. I still have um, my own thoughts. I still have um, my own beliefs and I still have things that I want to do separate from necessarily his career in, in the military. And so I think that's something we need to remind ourselves of that any spouse is so capable, but um, to also validate that it's difficult um, to make those constant transitions. And, you know, I tease my husband all the time. I'm like, I don't think you've ever had to interview for a job, you know, because it's just one of those things. And there is, it's based upon, you know, their performance and stuff, but you know, I've, I can't even tell you how many interviews I've been on that I haven't been picked up for the job. And it is, um, it's hard to get turned down and it's hard to pick yourself back up. So there, again, I just felt a different stress with it that surprised me because I didn't think it would be that significant. And it really challenges your identity for sure. I mean, here you are, you're a service Academy graduate, you go into the military, you have this career path and, you know, you want to keep your family together. You want to have kids. There's this decision to make, like now you're quote, just a mom or just a military spouse or whatever. So all these transition points, they're really difficult for women and they do challenge your identity. And it is very different, especially if you're with a spouse who is still in that system, because to your point, like they're still kind of moving down this defined pipeline with a very structured identity of who they are. And you're having to go through all these constant transitions. So it's true. And it's, and it's um, something that, again, you have to be very conscious about and make decisions. And Mm -hmm. so that can be mentally exhausting going through it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kendra. So, so tell me now, looking back, how do you feel currently about your decision to attend an academy? Um, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. And I think a lot of people are surprised that know some more of my story. Um, As you've heard today, I think um, a lot of people are surprised when I say that. Um, But again, it goes back to uh, my original statement that it made me who I am today. And, and it, it made me the mother and the role model for my children that I want to be. And I wouldn't take that away for the world. Yeah. And so that's something, thing that I consistently tell myself is, you know, we are our experiences, um, for sure. But, um, but it's what you do with those experiences. And that's, that's what I'm proud of, you know, um, and that's why, why I'm proud of being part of the academy, part of, you know, part of the alumni. Yeah. And so what's next for you? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I get asked that often. Um, I just finished my book for military spouses and within there um, are real stories of my own and about 30 other spouses that I personally interviewed. And so it gives, again, um, I'm very uh, adamant about being real. So I think when you tell anything and you tell your stories, it's important to tell the good, bad, and the ugly um, because that is... um, 
that is what makes makes you you. And so that's what that book was really built around is spouses sharing the good, bad, and the ugly about being a military spouse and part of a military family. But the other part, which has always driven me is to help others. So this is an eight week study that I now do um, motivational speaking on and do um, for different uh, units around the world that are picking up this book and doing a book study with it. And then I pop on now to Zoom meetings, which I love um, as they're towards the end of the study and um, I get to hear their experiences and offer them support. So mm -hmm. that's just been an amazing experience. And I'm hoping um, that more um, right now I've been real strong in the Air Force um, side just because that's where, again, my connections are. But I'd love to break into more of the different sister services to offer this resource to other um, spouses and other services. But um, but my work doesn't stop there. I've looked at um, the relationship um, with our children, which I think is really important because um, the difference between myself and my children is my husband and I still have a conscious choice whether we continue to serve or not. Um, we don't allow our children to have that same choice. And so it's definitely a different perspective. So I'm working on a book um, for the military children. Um, same format of um, I'm right now collecting stories um, to give the military child a voice and let them share from their perspective, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, but then a key component again is um, inserting those rational behavioral tools for the parents and the children to be able to work through some of the struggles associated with military life. And I certainly want to expand upon that and do one for the active duty member as well. Um, getting active duty members on board with sharing their stories and providing tools for the active duty member. And my kids want me to write one for the dog too. I don't know what that one's <laughs> going to look like. The eye, you know, the military life through the eyes of our dog buddy. But um, no, I I just have so enjoyed um, not just sharing my stories, but listening to others and really being that person to sit and listen and validate and say um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. Um, you will fall. Expect to fall. That's okay. Um, it's okay to say I need help. Um, don't be scared of that um, because no, by being vulnerable and doing that, it's only going to make you better and stronger. Um, so that being my message, you know, I love being able to talk about that any chance I can. Yeah, I love it. You're definitely passionate about it. And it certainly is uh, research and information that's invaluable to the community. So I appreciate you and what you're doing for sure. Um, so before we go, uh, do you have any parting words for listeners? Uh, maybe a key message for your fellow Service Academy sisters, Kendra? I just commend each and every one of you for um, all your walks that you've walked. Um, but I definitely challenge anybody listening. Um, as you've heard through some of my stories, we've all, um, I say this all the time, you put 10 people at a table and the one person that you think had it all together, you'd be shocked at what their story is. So um, be patient with each other, be kind with each other, and know that you can make a conscious choice. Whatever, whatever, you know, whatever your experience has been, you can make a conscious choice um, to really reframe that and um, to be stronger and move on from it. So um, I, I don't know in the audience where everyone is at, um, but know that every single one of you are capable and so I, you know, challenge you to take that, um, that known capability and just 
um, continue um, to forge the path for others. I love it. I love it. And, uh, and what is one random fun fact, just so we can end on a lighter note? Oh, the one thing that people always laugh, they, um, as my hidden secrets, right? Not um, true skeletons, but um, in talking, I have a black belt in karate. And so um, when you play those fun games of get to know you, you know, write down that one random fact and then try to guess at the table, you know, who it is. And so I always write down that I have a black belt in karate and um, they can never guess that it's me for whatever reason. So I think they're, again, speaking to um, speaking to the fact that we all have amazing abilities, capabilities, and experiences. And so that's one that's a fun fact that most people never peg me for is having a black belt in karate. No, because you're soft-spoken and, you know, you're like the one everybody, like you listen really well. And here you are, you've got this double life as like a, a ninja doing, <laughs> doing karate. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Super fun. So yeah. I have just um, loved getting to know you. And I um, certainly everyone that has a chance to listen to this, I hope that this gives you um, some hope and um, some joy in your life. Uh, because um, nowadays, just with a lot of struggles we're having, I think that's so important to focus on those. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Kendra, where can people reach you? Oh my gosh, um, reach out anytime. And I've said this to so many people, especially in the last year as I've um, kind of been going on my book tour and talking about it. Um, Dr. Kendra at iCloud.com. Um, please shoot me a message if there's any way that I can support you. Um, I am here. Um, I would love to connect, um, help support. Uh, and then I have a website, Dr. Kendra Low Thrive on LLC.com. And I know that's long. Um, because I have started um, my own LLC, which is called Thrive On, and really the focus of the entire, um, you know, corporation is to help military families in any facet um, possible. So um, reach out. Um, I am available to you or anyone at any time. Awesome. And I will put those links in the show notes for listeners if they want to reach out to you. That sounds great. Well, Kendra, it's been wonderful hearing your story and getting to know what you're working on now. It sounds like you have some exciting research coming out and, and, a, and a new book coming out. So definitely looking forward to hearing what you do next. But, uh, but for now, uh, we all thank you for sharing your story with the rest of the Service Academy sorority. Oh, thank you all and um, good luck to everybody. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.